Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I'm talking to Josh Firstos. He is the CEO and co-founder of Incued. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because this guy's done a lot. And he's right now at a place where so many businesses find themselves, where they're looking to grow, they're getting some funding, and actually working on the second round of funding. And so there's exciting things happening in his entrepreneur journey. So welcome to the show, Josh. Hey, Lance. Thanks. Okay, so first off, I like to ask everybody out of the gates here, what are three things based on your experience as an entrepreneur that every other entrepreneur out there should know? Um, everything's going to take twice as long, cost twice as much. Yeah. Um, building a team, like don't just scramble to get a team together. Like I think it's actually better to build out infrastructure by yourself or one other person that you're close to that you can trust. And then start building, not bringing people on. I, I think that people try to build a team way too early, like way, way, mm. way too early. And then they try to like fill the, maybe this is the third one. Like they try to fill the knowledge gaps they have by hiring people. And the reality is like, you can do that to some extent, but like, if you don't know anything about marketing whatsoever, and you try to hire your way out of marketing, then you have very little understanding of how to measure that marketing person and what they're actually worth. And like, I think you need to develop the baseline mm. of these skills to understand what you actually need before just filling gaps with more employees. Now, I want to probe into that last one a little bit because that is contrary to what a lot of people say and like what is in a lot of books, the business books as well, where it's always about filling the gaps, you know, know the value of your time and don't waste your time and energy doing things that you could hire out. Uh, you can only be an expert in so many things. But I think your point is extremely valid in terms of how do you actually measure somebody's performance if you have no idea what that role entails, essentially? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's you need to have a general knowledge or everything. Like your job as a CEO is just to be the generalist, right? Yeah. You have to know a little bit about every single thing you're doing. And I also kind of question a lot of these books, to be completely honest, like the Business Model yep. Canvas book. I have never actually met someone that has functionally used a Business Model Canvas effect, like to <laughs> any level of success. So th there's... I don't know, build the business you'll learn yourself and um, just, you know, learn things as you need to go. I think about it like almost like modularity where, oh, I need to learn this, then rapidly learn it and just do it the the easiest way possible. Like, oh, you need to do a website, just get a website, up. put your name on it, put the, you know, put a wait list there and then just move forward. I think a lot of these things can be done way simpler than most people try to do them. And they generally overthink them and that becomes fairly inefficient. Yeah. I, so I, I can relate to this in two different ways. So my business, Ample Media, um, before I would actually add another service, I tended to try to sit within that space a little bit myself to try to understand how to do it. Um, and then obviously you know, build a base level of that knowledge so that when I built the team then to actually deliver it, um, then I, I knew enough where I, and, and also I knew enough to figure out how to price it as well. That was the other issue is it's like, okay, well, how do you price the service at the beginning? wildly inefficient, um, and, and somewhat ineffective, I suppose. And so you can't really base, uh, in our industry, it's a lot of fee for, for hours. Right. And mm -hmm. so you couldn't really base it off of that because we didn't have the efficiencies built in. And so it's like, okay, so we want to almost kind of prototype it, test it out a little bit, do some trial, 
um, delivery and then start to build the proper team and then uh, actually figure out how to price the darn thing. And so um, that was one way that I can relate to this. And then the other way is is really just that um, need, I think, sometimes for us as entrepreneurs to to kind of control a little bit of it. And that's another thing that a lot of people talk about in a very negative way is that, you know, you just need to kind of almost blindly trust uh, your team or outside experts or whoever. But I always felt that if I didn't have um, a little bit more control at the early stages, I ended up with some failures, some big failures uh, later on. And so I like to control that process a little bit. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I don't know how you approach it from that perspective, but that was one thing that helped me. I, I think that's generally how I think about it. Like, I, I guess what I'd add is that you need to have an extremely high trust team, like low trust teams yeah. can lead to dramatic failure. Um, and then the tr control mechanism really comes around creating guidelines from a strategic level, not from a tactical level. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost, you need to design the game and then other people can figure out the game and play the game, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, I find that if control is overbearing, there's inefficiencies in like productivity, but if you explain the game to someone and align the incentives correctly and you trust them then you'll you'll see really high productivity out of them. Yeah. So it's yeah. like the control is more the controlling of the prism through which people understand the job they have to do, not through micromanagement. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to Enqueued. Tell us a little bit about the business. What problems are you trying to solve over there? So we do real-time financial data on private market assets, which is a lot of words to say that we let venture capital firms, private equity firms, investment banks, lenders, et cetera, understand how the portfolio companies who they're lending money to or investing into are performing, what their revenue is, the spending, the like everything effectively on those companies. Currently, how this works is people send Excel documents, PDFs, you know, updates over emails, uh, static information, which can be fraudulent. It can be just generally poor quality data. And yep. it basically increases the risk parameters around these investments and loans in a pretty dramatic way. And you can see also some examples of this in like the media where it's like the Frank case at JP Morgan, where they like didn't do a di uh, diligence effectively and they lost like 125 or I think it was $175 million. And now they're in like a giant Oof. court case over it. Yeah. So the stakes here are pretty big. Our long-term goal is to create a Bloomberg terminal for the private markets. I think that the markets in general are driven by the overall search for liquidity. So by enabling liquidity to come with greater ease, we can have greater efficiencies in the markets, which can lead to more innovation. I know that that was a lot, but. Well, I, and I think that's a, a really a great goal, but just to reiterate the one part that you said there, which is kind of de-risking the portfolio a bit, the investments that these people yeah. are Listen, I mean, it's such a huge risk profile that these companies, uh, these investment companies are trying to navigate through. So I would imagine any tool that they have at their disposal to try to minimize that or control a little bit more of that risk is going to be something that's really appealing to them. Yeah, I mean, and the best way to think about this, it's not necessarily a one to one, but imagine when you were investing in stocks in like 1980 and you're yep. waiting on like the newspaper to say what the stock is you know, the next day. Yeah. That obviously was vastly less efficient than you looking on E-Trade or Robinhood and understanding what the stock price is literally right now. 
Because yeah. there's massive amounts of opportunities for you to mitigate risk or increase earnings just in that one day, 24 hour period. Now, yeah. for the private companies, what we're talking about is reducing this from a quarterly basis is when you're getting updates currently. So any kind of like efficiency increase in data gather and to have that data be validated allows for investors to mitigate risk and increase returns in a pretty dramatic function. Yeah. Yeah. I, and so one of the things before we hit the record button that I really liked about what you're doing is the people who are investing in you are the firms that are actually your ideal customer set. And so you're getting a tremendous amount of customer information um, and insights from the people who are actually investing in you, which is uh, very unique. I mean, most businesses don't have that ability to to really leverage their investment community, the people who are putting the dollars in uh, for that kind of uh, data mining, really. Yeah, I mean, this is something we thought about like on the outset of the company that would make for like pretty high efficiencies. I think yeah. that a lot of companies couldn't do this. So like there's a whole stream of corporate venture capital where it's like pretend you're making like, I don't know, agrotech, then maybe you want like Monsanto to invest in you. Sorry, turn off your phone. Um, because then you have a built-in customer from your investment base. Um, yep. It can help with distribution. And I think distribution is probably one of the largest hurdles for companies after they get product market fit. Yep. So yeah, it's incredibly convenient for us. It, it helps because our investors understand the problem we're solving because they feel the pain every single day. And I, I really appreciate their feedback. Um, but I, I do think it's something that more people can do. Like the best investors for your product are probably people who experience that pain every day. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they're obviously the ones who are going to understand it the best and see the value that you're going to be bringing to the table with your your solution, whatever that solution might be. Um, I was talking to another entrepreneur yesterday uh, in similar kind of situation where his investor was actually somebody he didn't even realize was a guy who would be an investor. He was just having a casual conversation with him and they got talking about what it was that he was doing. And, uh, and as it turned out, that was a pain that this guy was living every day with his business. And uh, he called him up the next, the next day and, and offered him uh, some initial seed funding to, to basically have him stop his day job so he could invest all of his time in, in building the business. And so uh, it's, it's a similar, uh, sense there where it's like, if you can find that person who has that pain, uh, you probably have a potential investor right there too. That's just cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, you just got to tell people what you're doing and you'll find the right people networking in the right spots. Yeah. So now you've been at this, uh, for a little over two years or right around two year mark, I suppose it is right. 2021, yeah. I think you said is, is when yeah. you started the company. Okay. Um, and so. Was this something that you had a background in the financial side of things, on the development side of things? Tell me how you got into this business. So I have a background in probably the data side of things is the best the best way to think about it. And the like, I'll just kind of go for it. So I started as a software engineer. I worked for like Samsung when I was like 19, 20. I ended okay. up in college getting out of software engineering, getting into business. And I helped scale up a tech startup, actually in the medical technology space. So I was using AI so for some fairly exciting things. Um, so I got to watch that kind of scale up when I, before I even graduated. Um, yeah. And then I ended up getting to the corporate world and I was working on intelligence security technology that we were selling to governments and doing a lot of custom stuff there. So really like a large amount of my career has been solving really, really big data problems. 
Um, and the way I think about this is one really, really big data problem. It's not yeah. really about like the, the financials is just, you know, that's just the mechanism by which the data represents itself. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm curious about that experience that you said that you had when you were um, in school still, I think, right. As yeah. you were, you were part of and witnessing the scaling up of another startup. So the experience that you had there, how has that informed what you're doing right now with your business as you're beginning to scale it? Well, I mean, like I have looked at my life as like a series of watching adults make mistakes <laughs> which is like you have bosses and you're like, I don't want to be that guy or like, like, I mean, yeah, granted, yeah, yeah. like the boss I had at the startup was actually fantastic, but you learn a lot of mistakes. And yeah. I think that observing the mistakes is probably the most important thing there. You're like, okay, like they hired people too early or like this, they didn't spend money correctly or they didn't raise enough or like they were too focused on adding features that customers wanted instead of like, you know what I mean? Yep whatever it may be at the given time. So I, I think it just gave me a lot of perspective. Um, and I think that perspective is very useful. I, I wouldn't say it was like one little thing. It's like, yeah, like I made cold calls and I designed websites and like I went to conferences and I, you know I mean? I did all the, the small little things that somebody at that age does, but I, I think it was a lot of observing. But then there's also a good degree of like understanding CEO speak of yeah. like you sit next to someone enough and you're just like, like, oh, this is something I could do, you know? And maybe that's something that I, I don't think enough people get is just realizing that like having a venture back startup is something you can just do. Yeah. It's really difficult. Like I'm not trying to minimize that, but once you meet a few people that have done it before, you realize that like that is within the realm of possibility. Yeah. It, it demystifies it. Right. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people that, that if they don't have that, experience haven't brushed up against it uh you know we see the shark tank and in canada here dragon stand and 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 we 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 see it out there but it's always seems somewhat unattainable until you start talking to entrepreneurs who are in the space who are getting the funding and and those feels like, so yeah. bad yeah <laughs> those feels are so bad <laughs> yeah yeah oh. well, and i think you know, yeah. I talked to a number of people who've been been on those shows, and, uh, and and the reality of it is, is that the deal that's made on the show doesn't actually transpire at the end of the day, uh, either because of the due diligence that was put in, or yeah. it's just at, once they got into the fine print, the entrepreneurs like, no, this is like, like I'm giving away everything here. This is ridiculous. yeah. They actually realized they're like they're like 200k for 40, percent and I'm just like watching them like that is insane. Like you are yeah. a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. like, that is. Like... <laughs> Totally. Well, now, now you have a lot of experience, though, too, talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, um, because you, from what I understand, was highly, or maybe you still are, highly involved in an incubator. Um, and so you were a mentor or still are a mentor to a lot of uh, businesses. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that and the way that you give back to the community. But. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's giving back. I get paid to do it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's more of... Um, we can, I don't, I don't want to portray it as charity work, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm an advisor at Alchemist Accelerator in San Francisco. Um, they are the world's top BBE accelerator. Um, and I help advise the Alchemist X GovTech program. So yeah. I, I help companies with their go-to-market strategy. I help them with understanding how to talk to investors um, with a lot of CEO coaching, yeah. um, that kind of stuff. It's uh 
I've done 23 companies there. And then before that, this is more of a networking thing, but I was the head of Founders Network Chicago, um, where we had a few hundred members. Um, and that was more of a community thing. Yeah. So, so back to the, to the incubator there and what the, the um, like mentoring that you're doing, what are you finding to be some of the biggest mistakes um, that you're trying to basically train out of some of these new founders? Well, so I should clarify. So it's an accelerator. So these are already funded companies for the most okay. case. So okay. these are like, they have pre-seed funding and they're looking for like product market fit. So generally they're a little more developed, but to answer the question, um, generally it's hiring too quickly. Generally it's assuming you have product market fit far before you have product market fit. It's getting into large enterprise deals or hoping to get a large enterprise deal with mm. some big brand that promises you the world, but then you're going to die by their slow bureaucratic process. And they want a billion customizations on your product that is going to kill it for the people who are actually going to allow you to scale. It's not being able to accurately describe the unit economics of the business and how it achieves nonlinear growth. Um, it, it's a lot of the things that you're trying to figure out when you're moving from building a product to solve a problem to trying to get initial scalability to show that um, this can be an, a large enterprise potentially one day. Yeah. And, and on the topic of product market fit, I mean, this is, you know, the biggest one of the biggest challenges that a lot of companies face is really trying to figure that out because they have a great idea. Uh, they get some positive feedback from the market, but they don't have anybody putting cash down on the on the barrel head, so to speak, yet. Um, and so you never really know if it's if you have it. So in that situation, I imagine a lot of the businesses that you're talking to in that program are are at that stage right and so what advice do you have to give them that would be you know somewhat i i guess general across multiple industries and and that that um maybe our entrepreneurs who are listening today would be able to take away and go okay i'm going to use that uh to try to nail my product market fit yeah i mean i, I think it's just everyone thinks they have product market fit before they actually have it yeah. And then they proclaim that they do. So I, I would say that um, unless you are literally getting so many sales that you need to scale your customer success team and you are stressed out because you're scaling so quickly, then you probably don't have it. Hmm. I, don't, I don't have to answer your question, but I think generally um, that's how it works. And, and I think the best way to solve this is really doing product research. So it's doing customer interviews. It's, re it's, it's taking a more methodical um, approach to product. I, I'm not necessarily an expert on this. But I think that um, Sam Altman, I believe, apologized for a lot of the advice that he gave at YC a little bit ago because he oh, was really? talking about like rapidly developing products and like getting the MVP out there and then proceeded to like raise something like $100 million to make OpenAI before they even launched a product. And then he like wrote a thing on his blog where he's like, actually, like sometimes to make a business, the capital input is vastly larger than I assumed it was before getting into this space. So, it's filter advice really, really well, because like you're going to know what's right in your gut and um, everyone's going to tell you what to do. And just sometimes you got to think about it, ignore some of it and do what's best for you. You'll figure out what makes your business work. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it comes to advice, um, there's a lot of people that 
feel that you need to have some sort of advisory board set up like early days. Some people talk about maybe waiting a little bit longer. Where's your stance on the the fit of that advisory board and at, at what stage of your business should you really be uh, investing heavily in, in getting the right people sitting around the table? Well, I, my number one problem is I think that most people that make early advisory reports, including myself, I screwed this up and we rectified it and who have this business, but um, people take on advisors too early and they think that, okay, somebody knows a little bit more than you. And then you assume they can help you with like a ton of problems going forward. Yeah. But there was like someone that came out of corporate America and like has never made a startup before. And they, you know, they, they know how to do things from that, like, consulting perspective or from that corporate perspective and really it has no application whatsoever. So one, I would say that have shorter advisory contracts. I would advise that, and I'm not a lawyer, so don't take my advice, but 0.25% equity over probably two years um, is probably the best way to do it with um, one year vesting period and then quarterly or one year cliff quarterly vesting. I think that's probably best. Shorter shorter contracts are probably better. You can even do a six-month or a one-year contract for even less than a quarter percent at the earliest stages. And I think that makes sense because if you are good at rapidly taking in information, you're going to realize that you're going to grow past a lot of these people fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that they're not always going to be a fit. You're going to think you're going to need these people for way longer than you will. And also, people just want to be advisors. And like... There are tons of people who are going to want equity in your business, but they're not going to want to invest. And that should tell you something. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a really, really strong statement that you just made there because there are a lot of those people that, uh, yeah, they're, they're not investors. Uh, they're just looking for, they for want, they, well, they want their little chunk and yeah. they want to say they're involved Yeah, and they, um, they're looking to make their LinkedIn or their resume look way better <laughs> and they, yeah. 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 No, yeah. I, I know a few of those people um, I've, I've bumped into over the years, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll talk about all these, these companies that they're mm -hmm. advising and invested in and their big portfolio and stuff. And it's like that their, their level of understanding and knowledge of those companies. I don't think they really hardly pay attention. They anymore. have never made a startup or been an investor in their life. They work yeah. a like directorial or vice president job in a large corporation and yeah. they are a subject matter expert on one very specific thing um, that kind of applies to you. Yeah. But broadly, a lot of the problems that you're going to have aren't like the subject matter expert problems. They're like broadly, you need people that have literally done things hoops nuts before. Yeah. Like you need builders. And, and even then, though, and this is what, an interesting thing that one of uh, a previous interview uh, that I did with another entrepreneur was talking about, and they're saying, you know, even though that advisor maybe w have has walked in essentially the same shoes that you have, so they were in the same industry, it started a business and everything else, they've got that experience, <clears throat> excuse me, but the market conditions today are different than the market conditions then. Yeah. Uh, the competitive landscape is different. The uh, technological landscape, the geopolitical, like everything is different than what it once was. And so the piece of advice that that person was giving everybody too was, was just, you know, kind of like what you were saying earlier on, where it's trust your gut a bit on some of this stuff. So don't just because, you know, they, you respect them and that you really do value their opinion. 
don't take it just at face value. Uh, use some critical thinking and, and apply your circumstances to that advice as well. Yeah, learning how to say no is like incredibly important, like yeah. disgustingly important. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, if you were able to send a letter back in time to your younger entrepreneur self, what would you tell the younger Josh? How how much younger? <laughs> like, is this this was like three years ago or like ten years? Ago? <laughs> well, you 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 can pick what, what that is. So tell us what age or or how many years ago this was and at what stage uh, you were. I don't at. think ten years ago me would have even listened to my advice. Now I think you would have just ignored <laughs> it and been like, "This is stupid." Um, so I'm gonna go with like three years ago. Okay, okay. Uh, three years ago, I would have just told myself to focus more on uh, customer interviews and to really to really mm-hmm. listen to what people are saying and to also understand that um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think this is like really specific to me. So I'm trying to draw away from that, but you just because people will adopt your product early for some amount of small money, like pennies, like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, we'll pay $75 a month for this. Like that sometimes that does not mean that you should actually target that market. <laughs> like no. that's not a good indication like um, you need to find the real customers. Um, so, and then don't, when those first customers start telling you, I need things like this in my product, I need things like that in my product. Don't jump to like, take care of those people's needs because they're not the actual customer and they're not paying you enough for you to actually change the product for them. And they're doing something that's self-serving, but it's not actually going to leave you in a winning position in the long term. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That that that's a difficult thing, I would imagine, to balance, though, right? Because especially in the early days, when you're trying to figure out that product market fit, you have some, you know, people that are piloting or testing it out, and so you have this this really small subset of people who you think are going to be potentially your target audience, telling you these are some of their needs that are very much self serving for sure, yeah, and derail your product. Uh, roadmap uh, very quickly, uh, but you also want to be responsive to that. So, how do you balance that, especially in the earlier days? Yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> I think I just think um, I'm still trying to figure that out. I think it's um, yeah. just talk to more people, talk to yeah. a diverse set of people too. Like it's if you don't, I, I think that when we're when you're making a startup, you want to find a a niche with a very large TAM, like an untapped that you can sell into. Um, but I think there's so much focus on the earliest stages of like finding that niche and making the assumptions and making this whole business plan that it, yeah. ten- it forces people to tunnel vision before they've done the proper testing. Yeah. And then they kind of screw themselves over. Yeah. So it's like, just because don't over plan, don't like stick like your, like a, like a post to the ground and be like, we are doing this and willing to die on that hill. Be more experimental. Treat it like a science project where you're like, I'm, let's see if these people like it. Let's see if these people like it and be willing to shift. Cause like everyone's going to be a critic and they're like, Oh my God, you pivoted. Oh my God, you did this. And it's like, no, like we're just, we're just looking and to see what's useful. We're going to understand. And then we're going to weasel right in here. Like, I, I think that companies have a million little pivots to find product market fit. And it's not like they just have like one big pivot and then you're just like, oh, we found it, Eureka. Yeah. Like that's 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 not how this works. But then everyone makes pivot seem like this wild 180 degree turnaround, when in reality, like it, internally it doesn't work that way. It's yeah. just a bunch of little 
So I guess yeah. be scientific about it. Don't, don't die on the hill of your business plan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that, you know, here's a guy I'm talking to right now whose business is built on data, like delivering the right kind of yeah. data that people can action decisions off of saying, you know, being scientific about it, like look at the data, uh, approach it with small incremental changes. We do the exact same thing. And this is my recommendation to anybody like my space is on the marketing side. And so don't do wholesale changes. Like we talk to companies all the time who say, you know, we went to this agency uh, to get some help and they wanted to redo our whole website and rebrand and everything else. And it was, you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars later before they actually even had something that they could then go to market with, but they were already in market with what they had. So just do the incremental changes. And it's amazing how those compound upon each other. And you, after a short period of time and a few iterations, you have a drastically improved in our case, marketing ROI, in the case of product development, you're going to have a much better product market fit probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's really important to uh, approach it methodically, I think, and, and trust the data. Yeah, you just have to be able to admit that you're wrong. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I, I think yeah. that ego is probably the biggest problem overall in um, starting a new company. Yeah. Is that people are scared of their family or their friends are going to judge them for making the company. Like that's the first like, yeah. ego thing. You're like, okay, like I don't care what they think. But then suddenly you're like, well, like what do my customers think? And like, I told my employees this and you know, well, I look like a hypocrite if I turn around and say, I changed my mind, you know, yeah. and it's, it's all about setting that culture up. So nobody's ego is getting like super bruised all the time. And you can just be honest and transparent with people and like, yeah, it's it's things are flowing right i suppose i don't know how to word it yeah and and this is a thing i think if you're setting your company up with the right kind of vision and values uh and mission statement overall um there's so many ways you can achieve that and so that gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility there and so that's where you want to i think place your stake right Is, is on those elements not on you know the the feature set or or the product roadmap or or uh, some of these other aspects of the business as it develops. It has to be mission driven. Yeah. Like, and, and the mission doesn't have to be like, oh, we're going to change the world and feed all the hungry people. Like, it, yeah, it yeah. really can be way more simple than that. And I, I think sometimes yeah. people actually screw themselves over by having these missions that are so grandiose and so vague that yeah. it doesn't actually, it's almost like there's no mission at all when it's yeah. so vague. Yeah. Yeah, just, you just can't do really, specific. it's not tangible enough, right? It's hard for, yeah. for your employees and your customers, I think, to really understand the role that the company's going to play within that. Yeah. yeah, it's like just do one thing really well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, th- this has been such a pleasure, Josh. I really appreciate taking the time today to, to chat with us. Uh, uh, if somebody wanted to find out more about InCute or to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can go to InCute.com is where you'll find InCute. Yeah, um, you can find me I-N- I N C U E D just for those who don't know. Yep. And then you can look up Josh versus on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or wh- whatever you please, or I guess is like your preference. Yeah. Um, it's first. This is F U R S T O S S. Um, but you can just Google me and it'll pretty much come up. And, uh, yeah. On threads yet. Are you, uh, are you there? With threads, it's like <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, uh, Facebook or Meta just uh, just launched a, a Twitter competitor. So 
It's oh. going to be the Twitter killer everybody's talking about. So threads. I'll see if it actually does anything, and then I'll <laughs> consider putting effort in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And for those of you who are watching this episode or listening to it and really enjoyed it and you want to check out the archives, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. You're going to find all the videos there. Um, or you can just search Amplify Your Business on your favorite podcasting platform. You're going to find um, our backlog and our future episodes there as well. And just a shout out, we um, talk about in the secret sauce to building a, a business, um, which is based off of interviews just like this. We talk about the importance of advisory committee or boards, I mean, as well as some of the other topics, actually, that we touched on a little bit here today, Josh. So for those who want to do a little bit of reading, check it out. Um, That's available as well on AmplifyYourBusiness.ca. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. And thank you so much, Josh. Really appreciate it.